mornings. I'm Chris Oaks. And coming up on the podcast today, State Representative John Cross shares his thoughts on the newly signed Ohio budget, along with Issue 1, the fight to raise the bar for constitutional ballot initiatives. Also this morning, from the great resignation to the great retention, how employers have responded to the trend of emboldened workers leaving unfulfilling jobs with little potential for advancement. And this is the week to stuff the bus. It's our annual partnership with Christian Clearinghouse to provide school supplies for kids in need. We'll get a preview. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Monday, July 24th, 2023. So this was kind of interesting. I saw this story uh, on the uh, on the Newswire and... Uh, kind of speaks to the whole Monday thing. A woman in, uh, well, doesn't say where she is. Says a frustrated woman takes to social media to post about an unusual grievance regarding her workplace. Uh, Access to sweets. So of all of the things that can bug a person about, uh, about their workplace, this, uh, Woman says she is trying to watch what she eats, uh, trying to watch her waistline, but the table of junk food that is constantly available at her workplace makes it difficult. It's a job where you end up incredibly tired sometimes. It doesn't say what it is that she does, only that it's a job where you end up incredibly tired sometimes, and I have little willpower around chocolate. So I'd like to ask the team to save treats for an actual occasional celebration rather than just leaving them out round the clock. Some commentators, uh, some commenters on the uh, social media post say that she uh, just has has to have more self-control, but others have been more supportive regarding her plight. They are, of course, entitled to bring in lots of sugary treats but it would be better would be better for you themselves and everyone else if they uh, limited this. So this caused a uh, big debate online about you know the uh, the treats that are available at the at the office. You ever struggle with that? I don't know. Anyway, just a uh, kind of Monday morning kind of story. So uh, some of the uh, big news of the day. Did you hear? Uh, late last week, and the story I think came out uh, on Friday uh, about the uh, big surprise that they got at the Columbus Zoo. A gorilla thought to be a male suddenly uh, was found holding her new baby girl, her new baby, her new baby gorilla. Uh, thought it was a, they thought this was a, a male Western lowland gorilla. Uh, that has lived at the facility at the Columbus Zoo since 2019. Uh, she is eight years old, uh, named Sully, which I, that was uh, kind of fortuitous. Sully, as I suppose that could be a male or female gorilla name. So I don't know whether they will uh, rename the gorilla now that they know that, it, that it's a female rather than a male. But the zoo believed that Sully was a male for all eight years of her life. Now, the zookeepers explain it's hard to tell the gender of younger gorillas until about the age of eight, 
which is what Sully is now. Males and females are about the same size, and they don't have uh, prominent uh, reproductive organs. Um, As gorillas age, they become more sexually dimorphic, meaning that males and females tend to begin to look very different. But at that age, um, until about age 12, they don't, you know, look very much different males and females. Uh, Gorillas rarely show outward signs of pregnancy. Now, that was the other question. Well, didn't they know that this gorilla was pregnant? Well, gorillas generally don't show uh, outward signs of pregnancy because newborns are smaller than human babies and gorillas naturally have large abdomens. So uh, they can't always tell. Uh, Zookeepers say that the infant appears to be healthy and first-time mom, Sully, is uh, taking good care of her uh, new baby. So <laughs> that's, a, that's a surprise. Uh, kind of a weird uh, weird item there. Yeah, that was... Uh... So the story this morning, uh, folks are kind of buzzing about. Apparently, uh, Elon Musk is making more changes at Twitter. Uh, he is doing away with or he wants to do away with the social media site's iconic bird logo everybody is familiar with the twitter bird the icon um that you have you have the twitter app on your mobile device or what have you uh you know the little birdie icon that signifies twitter and he wants to do away do away with that um and replace it with uh, with something new he's even talking about changing the name of uh, Twitter. And uh, I that strikes me as not the smartest thing to do. I mean, <laughs> I mean, what if Coca-Cola just up and decided, you know what, we don't want to call it Coca-Cola anymore. We don't come up with a new name. You know, throw away all of this brand recognition. Or uh, what if uh, Chevrolet decided we're going to get rid of our bow tie logo or McDonald's, we're going to give we're going to do away with the golden arches. You know, the bird is so immediately recognizable as the logo of Twitter to the to the point where many times you don't even have to see the word Twitter. You just see the, that bird and you know what it is. Why would you throw that away and uh, try and come up with a, a new logo? I mean, that kind of brand recognition is uh, pretty valuable in and of itself, but... Hey, he paid 40-some-odd million dollars for it or whatever. He can do what he wants, but I just don't know that that's all that bright, you know? Um, not going not gonna to change the uh, Twitter logo to a light bulb. It just doesn't seem that bright. I mean, uh, this, I thought, was uh, kind of interesting. Speaking of uh, social media, Tinder has released a list of the top emojis used in their bios. Uh, biographies of their, you know, the bios of their users and the number one uh emoji found in the bios of tinder users the face with tears of joy face the the face with tears of joy and everybody again is familiar with that emoji uh usually daters they say use this emoji to signal that they are looking for someone who can make them laugh uh some have hidden meanings like the shrug, a shrug emoji generally indicates a sort of take-it-or-leave-it attitude. 
Uh, popular bio emojis also include the winking face, the ghost, eyes looking sideways. Um, and according to the according to a survey, the most detrimental emoji you can use uh, in your uh, Tinder profile if you have a Tinder profile and you have the two hearts icon, the two hearts emoji, that is the one that most people in this survey say those are the people you want to stay away from. So if you're trying to attract a date, maybe the two hearts icon, not your best choice. Important stuff we need to make sure that you are aware of this morning. Right out of the gate. Among the first things you need to know this morning. Speaking of dating and making yourself look beautiful for that special someone... A new survey finds the states with the most obsession for plastic surgery. And they are Delaware, Rhode Island, and Maryland. Uh, The most, those are the places experts analyzed search data for terms related to plastic surgery. And those were the three states where they were the most prominent. So Delaware, Rhode Island, and Maryland are the most, um, Uh, interested or most obsessed states with going under the knife. Uh, Delaware searched for uh, Delaware searched for plastic surgery related terms. The most 308 plastic surgery related cosmetics. I don't want to say plastic surgery three uh, 308 cosmetic procedure search related searches per 100,000 people. The most Googled procedure, by the way, in all 50 states, the Brazilian butt lift. <laughs> that's, that's the one that uh, most people in America are interested in, the Brazilian butt lift. Uh, tummy tucks and hair transplants uh, round out the top three. So Now you know. Again, this is very important stuff. Very important stuff for, for you to know. We get your uh, Monday morning started. And um, uh, what else is uh, is here? Oh, uh, also should mention this. The Powerball jackpot is starting to grow again. Tonight's jackpot. Lottery officials say no one picked all six numbers in Saturday's drawing, which what was the first one since the billion-dollar winner. So no winner in Saturday's drawing. It will roll over to tonight's jackpot. $28 million. Woohoo! A whole $28 million. You remember when $28 million would have been considered an astronomical jackpot? And now we're just kind of, eh, ho hum, $28 million. I'll wait until it gets up to a billion. <laughs> uh, tomorrow's Mega Millions is worth $820 million. So that's more like it. There you go. Some of the uh, most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Monday morning started. WFIN News. I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather. Partly to mostly sunny skies today with a high in the mid-80s. Partly cloudy tonight, a low in the mid-60s.
The Finley Police Department is investigating a stabbing that sent a person to the hospital. Police responded to the 200 block of North Main Street at about 10.50 Saturday night on the report that a male had been stabbed. Upon arriving at the scene, officers were made aware that the victim had been taken to Blanchard Valley Hospital by private vehicle. Officers spoke with witnesses who described a fight between multiple people in the area, but none had witnessed the victim being stabbed. Officers spoke with the victim at the hospital and were unable to ascertain a description of the suspect. Police said the victim was treated for a small puncture wound to the abdomen. Get more on the website. The trial has concluded for the driver accused of killing a Cleveland firefighter last fall. Leander Bissell has been found guilty on all counts in the hit-and-run death of Cleveland firefighter Johnny Tetrick. Tetrick was hit along I-90 East near MLK last November as he was working at the scene of a crash. Bissell skirted police and sped through the accident scene in a closed lane, and that's where he hit Tetrick. He'll be sentenced on August 9th. ONN's Betsy Kling reporting. The head of the Ohio Department of Health is urging parents to keep their kids up to date on vaccines as the new school year approaches. Dr. Bruce Vanderhoff says required vaccines protect kids from 10 different diseases, and he says failure to comply is risky. We suffered through a measles outbreak here in Ohio late last year. The outbreak affected 85 children, all unvaccinated. He says a study 25 years ago linking vaccines to autism has been disproven, and he says the study in England making that link was actually retracted 13 years ago. Dave James, I went in news. Local student artists will learn about the world of picture book art in a fun, exciting way during the Mazza Art Camp at the University of Finley's Mazza Museum. During the art camp this week, artists will create daily art projects using different techniques and media inspired by original illustrations from picture books. And at the end of the week, they'll attend a reception to honor one another and the pieces of art they've created. Learn more about the Mazza Art Camp with the story on our website. I'm Matt Demchak for 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. And now to our cover story this morning, we are joined by State Representative John Cross. A couple of items of state business to discuss this morning. Ms. Cross, thanks very much for taking the time. First of all, we appreciate it. Yeah. Good morning, Chris. Happy summer. Uh, Happy summer. Uh, I know that uh, you were just getting back from uh, a little R&R with the the family. So this is the first opportunity that we've had to uh, talk to you about the uh, state budget, which, uh, of course, was uh, passed and and signed by the governor just a hair under the uh, deadline at the end of last month. Uh, I know that there's always uh, a back and forth compromises that have to be made uh, between the Senate version of the uh, budget bill and the House version of the budget bill. When you look at, let me frame the, the question this way, when you look at the compromises that had to be made to reconcile this bill and get it before the uh, the governor for his signature, what are the ones that stand out to you the most, either positively or negatively, uh, the things that you would be, especially the things you would be paying most attention to uh, moving forward in this omnibus bill? Yeah, well, thanks, Chris. Uh, you know, we're we're excited to put together a fabulous budget for all 88 counties. It, it really will have a, a wonderful effect, not only for the 83rd district, but for all 88 counties. And by the Constitution, we have to have a balanced budget, and it has to be done, obviously, by the end of June so we can start funding our state July 1st, and we were able to get uh, that accomplished. Uh, And so unlike Washington, D.C., that can go on and on and on, 
we have to get it done. And that means that with, with that deadline, it gives us an ability to get things either worked out or compromised. I, I would say that in this budget, one of the highlights um, that we're excited about is we, we were actually able to have a greater income tax uh, put together for a state income tax. Our goal, I believe, in the in the state legislature, not trying to speak for everybody, but for the for the Republicans in the Senate and the House, we clearly said, listen, we want to get rid of state income tax. We want to be competitive with our other states that have no state income tax. We want more money in your pocket, Chris, so you can spend it the way you want to. And therefore, we were able to come up with a plan that uh, we we got a flat tax. So anyone who makes under a hundred thousand dollars will pay a two point seven five percent flat tax. Anyone who makes over a hundred thousand will pay a three point five percent flat tax, and that's down from the previous budget uh, and considerably down from when I started three years ago and the first budget. And of course, anyone who makes twenty six thousand dollars or less they still continue to pay zero income taxes. So you still have federal taxes to pay and local municipal taxes to pay, but we are well underway to, to flattening the state income tax. And, and Chris, if you own a business, you almost pay no cat tax. We remove the cat tax. And that has been mm-hmm. highly debated whether to have a cat tax or commercial activity tax or not to have it for 90% of businesses that pay it, they will not have to pay that now. Uh, gosh, you know, I don't think we have enough airtime to go through everything, but right. we obviously accomplished a lot in education, healthcare, nursing homes, um, you know, we- safety, lots of issues that that we can be proud of that will that will be very helpful for the 83rd district. What was the uh, compromise, or was there a compromise that uh, to get the budget done that you wish hadn't had to have been made? Oh, that's a good one. I yeah. Uh, um, I, you know, I can't, that's a great question. Usually I'm pretty good. You haven't stumped me so far. Uh, I, I, you know, I'm sure I can think of something really good after we hang but nothing up, but, standing, but nothing standing out immediately. No, no, it, no, and I would say this, we didn't get everything accomplished we wanted to. There were things that I personally were trying to get done uh, inside some of the economic development policies that I was tasked to work on, particularly the Ohio Futures Fund. Mm-hmm. The good, the good news, economic development is huge in this budget. We have over a billion dollars dedicated to site preparedness, brownfield remediation. We've got downtown development grants, township development grants. We, we, uh, I'll share this with the public. We know that there are 12 Intel-sized projects looking at Ohio. So we're excited to land, obviously, the Intel project, Ford's expansion, Honda's expansion, major expansion projects, because those large industries will have multiple suppliers around the state, and those suppliers will be the ones that could go to our backyard and create job opportunities for our communities. Uh, so we've got some more tweaking to do with that when it comes to utility and infrastructure and getting sites ready, but uh, I think we'll have a, a budget corrections bill in the fall where we can come back and make some tweaks to things we didn't get done, or if we do find those things where we we were really off on something, um, you know, it's a six, it's a six thousand page document. Right. I'm sure somewhere in those six thousand pages. We've got to make an adjustment somewhere. We'll do that in the fall. Uh, which is kind of what we're getting at. And, and obviously, when that time comes, we'll uh, take a closer look. Um, sure. 
the other once the now that the budget has been uh taken care of obviously uh all the attention at the state level turns to the august special election on issue one which uh, supp- uh supporters have framed as a uh, fight to raise the bar for constitutional ballot initiatives and protect the ohio constitution but just the fact that it is on the ballot in a special election in august actually became the first controversy uh, in uh, this uh, measure because it was just a few months ago that the state legislature moved to ban special elections in August and here uh, turning around and and having one uh, just weeks and months later. Well, the good news is I didn't didn't, uh, obviously uh, want to flip-flop on that issue because I was vocal and opposing having an election in August mm-hmm. for those exact reasons. No one's paying attention. Uh, I've had so many people come up to me uh, and say, well, what's going on in this election or why are we having this or what's going on? So there's obviously uh, people who are starting to tune in and pay attention, but obviously that's here nor there. That's behind us. There is a special election in August. There is an issue one uh, people who are trying to figure out what's the yes vote mean and what's the no vote mean. And, uh, you know, I always thought that if you really want to have this kind of election and this debate, do this in November or a primary election where everybody's paying attention. Right. But that's that's the cards that are dealt. It's in August. It's a special election. And so now we move towards what does a yes vote mean? What does a no vote mean? So uh, a yes vote would raise the threshold for ballot initiatives uh, to uh, for for constitutional ballot initiatives uh, to uh, be passed. It would raise it from a current simple majority right. to a supermajority of sixty uh, percent. Opponents of issue one uh, are calling this a power grab by state legislators. How do you frame this? Well, I I, I want to make sure we're uh, that's a great. Uh, question and I think you answered the yes part very well. Um, first, we're one of the few states out there that actually allows our constitution to be changed through referendum. I quite frankly wish we did not have that all all together. That's what people elect legislators. That's why you have a legislative branch, executive branch, and judicial branch. But I can't change that. So, so what we what we are looking at is if you if you the voter want to make our Constitution a little tougher to change from either in-state or out-state influences, whether you're Republican or Democrat, regardless of party or independent, and you feel that the Constitution shouldn't be easily changed, we're, we're asking two things. One, moving it to a 65% passage rate, and you have to collect signatures from all 88 counties. Yeah. Currently... Currently, Chris, I think it's 40-some counties you have right. a signature from, and the passage, 50% plus one. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the, the good side, so if you believe in that, then vote yes. If you think that you would like to keep it where it is at, at 50%, and only 40 counties with signatures, you'll vote no. And I think that's the easiest, simple, right. cleanest way explain which which is a yes or no side here's the thing that uh you know a lot of a lot has been made about the uh upping the threshold to uh, amend the constitution by uh citizen vote by a, a ballot initiative to that 60 percent uh threshold um and and I, I i get that um 
the, the idea of if you're going to change the Constitution, uh, that should be a higher bar than just changing a law. I get that argument. But it's been interesting because it's been framed as a way of reducing outside special interest influence, uh, you know, rewriting outside special interests, uh, rewriting the Ohio Constitution. But the the part of it that that jumps out at me is the requirement for signatures from uh, all 88 counties to even get a measure uh, on the ballot. And it seems to me that that almost guarantees the only people who will be able to mobilize that kind of effort to gather that number of signatures from every uh, county in the state would be an outside special interest group. I mean, citizen grassroots uh, efforts going to have an extremely difficult time uh, to garner re- uh, signatures in all 88 counties. Doesn't that uh, actually kind of go against the principle or the stated principle of uh, this measure? Well, I, you know, I think it's interesting you bring up the, the 88 county. I, I think that's a, uh, I always thought that was a better situation than the, the 60%, 65% uh, voting threshold because you you really want to make sure that all 88 counties, just like we passed the but we didn't pass the budget for 41 counties. We passed the budget for all 88 counties. I, and, I, again, I, I think uh, changing the Constitution and the threshold should not be easy, and I think you know having all 88 counties and, and voters from 88 counties. Uh, now I don't know the exact detail of how many signatures you need per county, right? But I'm assuming if you can go around and, and campaign on a statewide issue and, and get signatures from all 88 counties, whether you're a small grassroots or not, that that to me I think should be uh, an easy requirement uh, and maybe less debatable. But but that's you know my. Yeah, Um, we will have to leave it there because we were uh, are flat out of time. Obviously, we continue to uh, follow this issue and uh, State Representative John Cross with us uh, this morning as we approach that uh, August special election. Uh, Miss Cross, thanks very much for uh, taking the time. As always, we appreciate it. Chris, thanks for the time. The pandemic and its aftermath, of course, gave rise to a trend that was dubbed the Great Resignation. Remember, as jobs were plentiful and in-demand employees were in the driver's seat. Well, that trend has now evolved into what you might call the Great Retention. Employers looking for ways to keep their best employees and avoid the attrition that interferes with business productivity, as we know. Strategic Education recently commissioned a survey of working adults to better understand workforce sentiment as it relates to this great retention. And joining us now is the president of Education Technology Services, Joe Schaefer. It is interesting, Joe, and it's one of the things that has confounded economists who keep thinking that we are headed toward a recession, that companies have made it such a priority to keep people when uncertain economic times usually lead to downsizing. Yeah, that, that's correct. We are seeing uh, a lot of work from our employer partners on focused on retention, even in that uh, economic uncertainty, because the, uh, the risk in the tight labor market is a difficulty in, in finding people with the right skills. And um, so we, we commissioned, as you mentioned, a, a national survey of 2,000 employers, uh, or employees, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. And uh, as we shift out of the great 
resignation and into the great retention, our survey found that employees are happier than they were a year ago and that employer-sponsored education may play a, a meaningful role in that because employees feel more valued and loyal when their employer supports their professional development. And what's interesting also about the survey is there appears to be a rising expectation among employees that employers should be investing in their education. Well, that was what I was going to ask. With this uh, this survey, what does it say about employee happiness and, and what is, is driving an increase in happiness and satisfaction uh, on the job? I mean, I guess in a sense, you can look at some of this and say, hey, the, the great resignation worked in the idea that uh, if the goal was to, uh, you know, push for uh, more pay, better benefits, that kind of thing, more opportunities for employees, in a sense, it worked, I guess. Yeah, our survey showed that 82% of workers um, this year described their their selves as uh, as happy or very happy or fairly happy, mm-hmm. which was a 4% increase from last year. So some of the factors you mentioned likely uh, drive that. But the survey also found... Um, that 91% of workers rated work, workplace learning as important to them. And we are seeing uh, the trends drive uh, in that direction with 87% of employers um, or employees believing that employers should be investing in their continuing education, also up 4% from last year. So, so there are a lot of factors, as you mentioned. So does that mean uh, employee employees see education as an expected benefit? Is this something that they uh, I- expect uh, to be a part of that slate of benefits at this point? And if so, why? Yeah, we're, we are seeing that increase. Um, they said 87% of employees believe that employers should be um, kind of paying for their continued professional development. And it makes sense when you think about all of the skill disruption that has been occurring uh, and is likely to continue to occur. You hear all the time news stories about the the likely impact of artificial intelligence on jobs and the skills required for those jobs. And I think employees realize that they need to be um, continuously learning and adapting uh, as their jobs will adapt as well. And they're looking for their employers especially if they're going to stay there Mm -hmm. to take an active role in helping them make that transition. Well, and that's interesting. Let's speak to the employers for just a moment here. It's pretty easy to understand how uh, investing in employee education benefits the employee. Uh, Traditionally, I think a lot of employers have looked uh, looked at this and say, hey, I'm going to pay for my employee's education and they're going to take those newly found skills and take them someplace else. So what is the benefit for employers here? Yeah, I think it does take a little bit of trust on both sides, but there is data to support that it is beneficial to both. So from the employer's view, our survey also showed um, that that 90% of employees said they were more likely to stay with their current employer Hmm. if they offer and support um, the the use of additional education. So employers need to look at it as they are, they are funding um, they're funding a benefit that, that improves retention, which helps um, lower the cost of attrition and hiring and and all of that. Plus they're upskilling their workforce to, to the new skills that they need. 
So for employees who find themselves with that benefit, uh, what do they need to know about uh, about those benefits and availing themselves of an education benefit? Yeah, first, I think, and importantly, employees need to check if they have this benefit. Oftentimes, it's underutilized, and people may not um, may not know about it. But so, so first, check if it is available, and then if it is, um, there's a lot of factors to consider in terms of how flexible your uh, your your work environment is, and, and choosing educational offerings that fit well with working adults, as an example, and provide flexibility and, and uh, provide education in the fields that you believe you, you want to move into. Um, but but I, I think increasingly, if they don't offer it, um, it's it's also beneficial for employees to, to speak up and, and mention that this is a benefit that would be of value to them. Hopefully, employers are realizing that because even for recruiting at this point, it is... Um, a lot of employers are offering this benefit and it helps with recruiting too, because employees are increasingly looking for to work at companies that provide these types of benefits. Yeah. The great retention growing out of the great resignation, kind of interesting stuff here. Joe Schaefer, again, is uh, president of Education Technology Services uh, for Strategic Education. We referenced the survey. Uh, where do folks learn more? They can learn more at greatretentionsurvey.com. That's greatretentionsurvey.com. And you can see all the, the, the core findings there. Joe, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me. This is Good Mornings with Chris Oaks on 1330 WFIN, WFIN.com and 95.5 FM. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Now, I don't know uh, if you knew this or not, but it is Shark Week uh, this week. Uh, You know the annual uh, uh, tradition, the Discovery Channel does all of their uh, shark-themed programming uh, for an entire week. So everybody goes crazy about this. This is Shark Week uh, this week. And um, I have a uh, shark-related item here in the uh, broken news for us this morning. Um, you remember the movie Cocaine Bear earlier this year in uh, theaters? Uh, well, marine biologist Tim Hurd believes that we have cocaine sharks out there. <laughs> cocaine sharks. I. This is very disturbing. Uh, apparently, uh, this uh, marine biologist, Tim Hurd is his name, believes that it is possible that as the substance is moved across the Caribbean Sea and the Atlantic Ocean, you know, because the uh, drug cartels, you know, push uh, transport, uh, you know, large amounts of the uh, of the drug uh, across the ocean into North America. And as that happens, it is in some cases being ingested by sharks, especially those times when the uh, drug runners uh, encounter you know, law enforcement authorities like the Coast Guard and, and so on, they dump the cocaine overboard so they don't get caught with it. And sure enough, uh, the sharks are ingesting these packages. In one test of his theory, Mr. Hurd and uh, environmental scientist Tracy Fanara show uh, packages resembling cocaine bales to sharks and the sharks appear to head right for them. Because they know what these are, what they think they are, and they're going to ingest these. Uh, Mr. Hurd says more research is needed, but it is possible 
that illegal drugs are impacting ocean creatures. The cocaine sharks investigation actually is a part of uh, Discovery Shark Week, but... Is that is that maybe the most disturbing story you hear all day? <laughs> we could we could be dealing with cocaine sharks. Oh man. Change your vacation plans to uh, stay out of the ocean, avoid those cocaine sharks. Elsewhere in the uh, broken news this morning, a woman is suing a California restaurant claiming that her meal was so spicy it was unfit for human consumption. The lawsuit names the cook, the waitressing staff, and the owner of Coupe de Thai in Los Gatos, California. Uh, The uh, patron accuses them all of negligence and intentional infliction of emotional distress. The woman says she ordered an appetizer called Dragon Balls in the summer of 2021. She claims the bite she took was so spicy she suffered burns on her vocal cords, esophagus, and her nasal cavity. The woman is uh, demanding an unspecified amount of money for medical expenses and uh, to compensate for loss of income. She wasn't able to work. (laughs) So spicy it was unfit for human consumption. All right. So this story in the uh, Newswire and kind of was eyebrow raising. I thought this is crazy. Uh, All football activities are being suspended at Florida A&M University. All football activities have been suspended at Florida A&M on Friday Head coach Willie Simmons announced via Twitter that all football-related activities have been banned after an unauthorized music video was shot inside the school's locker room. Now, the video did contain graphic language, but apparently the biggest violation and the one that triggered the suspension of football activities (laughs) was that licensed apparel appeared in the video that may violate the school's branding agreements. (laughs) Apparel that may violate the school's branding agreements appeared in this video, unauthorized video that was shot in the uh, locker room, and that has led to a suspension of all football-related activities. And I'm thinking, man, today's college uh, football environment, they take those uh, licensing agreements very, very seriously. <laughs> you break you break the rule, they'll shut you down completely until further notice, it says. So they're not messing around with those branding agreements. They are serious. That is crazy that uh, it's not so much the language, it's the licensing agreement violations. We can't have any of that. Oh, my. A couple of other items in the uh, broken news. A catastrophic scene uh, in Connecticut uh, as... (laughs) Oh, man. I I hate to... I hope you're not having breakfast as we uh, hit this story here. But this is just all kinds of weird and disgusting and... 
So here's the story in uh, Connecticut, Bridgeport, Connecticut. Um, Interstate 95 was turned into a true disaster zone when a truck hauling um, liquid manure uh, suddenly started leaking on the highway, creating slippery, slimy conditions that led to utter chaos. Uh, The whole thing unfolded late at night where uh, the northbound lanes became a slippery slide of grossness, it says here. Ten vehicles and even a motorcyclist found themselves uh, in a not-so-delightful encounter with the feces-covered pavement, according to the uh, news story. To make matters worse, the, the leaking truck, the truck that was leaking this stuff, just kept on going, unaware of what he was leaving in his wake, wake a uh, full trail of funk, uh, until authorities were able to track down the culprits <laughs> and pull the truck over and say, you've got a problem. 34-year-old uh, Joseph Stevenson was arrested and faces 12 counts of first-degree reckless endangerment one count of reckless driving and one count of operating a vehicle without the uh, without a secure load. <laughs> load was not secure. Uh, in the end, no major injuries were reported, but the stretch of interstate affected was closed for three hours as they cleaned up all of the uh, liquid manure from the highway. Oh my! And a motorcyclist got caught up in the whole thing. Oh, man. Mm. Again, try to explain that one to your boss. Why you were late for work. <laughs> and why you smell so bad. I believe it. I did take a shower this morning, but I encountered something weird on the highway. And finally, in the broken news this morning, you know how hot it has been. We're going to get very hot this week uh, here in Northwest Ohio, but nothing uh, like what they have seen in the southwestern U.S., Phoenix, Vegas. Temperatures like 110, 115 degrees, Palm Springs, uh, well into the triple digits across Texas, the deep south. Um, Believe it or not, there are people who feel that this summer has not been hot enough. Instead of sheltering in place in air-conditioned comfort like most normal folks, this breed of individual actually seeks out the hottest places on Earth at the hottest time of the year. Welcome to so-called heat tourism. Heat tourism. Rising temperatures have been attracting tourists of late to the location billed as the hottest place on the planet, Death Valley National Park, the California-Nevada border. Included in the fun is snapping an obligatory selfie next to a famous outdoor thermometer outside the Furnace Creek Visitor Center, where temperatures were seen climbing north of 120 degrees. Um, by the way, the uh, hottest temperature ever recorded on Earth of 134 degrees was recorded there in 1913, and some are flocking to the site to see if that record will be broken while they are there. One of the visitors to the park last week was Alicia Dempster, 
from Edinburgh, Scotland, where it is generally uh, rather cool and damp uh, weather. This is completely different than the weather that they typically get at her home uh, in Edinburgh. It's very hot, she said to the Associated Press uh, in typical British understatement. I mean, especially when there's a breeze, you would think that that maybe would give you some slight relief from the heat, but it really does feel like an air blow dryer just blowing back in your face. Other tourists vacationing at national parks, including Grand Canyon and uh, Big Bend National Park in West Texas, are being warned to stay off the trails when the sun is at its peak. Death Valley so named for a reason. Uh, it earned its name again uh, Tuesday of last week when a 78-year-old hiker uh, collapsed and passed away from what authorities said was uh, heat-related re- uh, conditions. So don't mess around with this, but can you imagine heat tourism? Heat tourism. No, thank you. I think I'll just stay indoors. You know, I just... I prefer something I like to call air-conditioned tourism. There you go. Uh, That is uh, today's broken news. Odd and unusual to be sure. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Finley's Andy Ritz on becoming a Finley Rotarian. After 35 years working as a pediatrician in Finley, I wanted to give back to the community, but not at my job, but as a service that would reach many people. The best way to do this was for me to join Finley Rotary, and that's what I did in February of 2022. To become part of an organization that brings together business, professional leaders to provide community service and advance goodwill, contact Findlay Rotary at findlayrotary.org and click on join. This message provided by WFIN. Time now for your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. And this was a really interesting uh, survey, I thought, especially since, you know, uh, for decades, the cultural stereotype uh, has been that men are the family breadwinners, right? That's what we have been conditioned probably throughout all of our lives to think of men are the breadwinners in the family. We're supposed to be the breadwinners. Um, And historically, it's been, and again, I I don't mean to throw this out there and be dismissive of, of women, uh, women in the workplace and and so on and so forth. But the historical stereotype is that women stay at home, take care of the kids, take care of the house and, and so on. And obviously over the years uh, that has changed as women uh, enter the workforce, become more influential, break those glass ceilings and and so on. And I think most of us would say that's a good thing. However, now, fast forward to today from all of these, uh, this era of the typical cultural stereotype. Fast forward today, today, uh, the antiquated notions of men being breadwinners, women staying at home, have largely faded away in, form of, uh, in favor of more inclusive business practices. However, new research suggests that many men still struggle to cope when their female partner is either the sole or the main earner in a relationship. Scientists at the University of Bath have found that men report lower levels of well-being when women earn the majority or uh, are the exclusive uh, income earner 
in a household. Uh, if the male, if the man is the sole breadwinner or both members have pretty much equal jobs, men have higher levels of well-being. Uh, these findings come from an analysis of data encompassing over 42,000 people, not just in the U.S., but across nine countries, nine of the more um, developed countries uh, in the world. Researchers measured well-being by asking participants how satisfied they felt with their lives on a scale of 0 to 10, 0 being extremely dissatisfied, 10 being extremely satisfied. So while most people typically placed somewhere between 5 and 8, men's life satisfaction was 5.86 when women were the sole earners or the majority earners, compared to 7.16 when men were the primary breadwinners in the household. So that is a pretty significant difference in the way men feel and the satisfaction men feel with their lives when they are the uh, uh, breadwinners. And I just thought that was uh, really interesting because, again, even though those stereotypes uh, have faded away, more equality in the workforce, those emotions die hard. So as we mentioned earlier, this is Stuff the Bus Week. It is our annual partnership with the folks at Christian Clearinghouse to provide school supplies for kids in need. It all gets underway uh, Thursday of this week, officially. But I want to encourage folks to get out now and start shopping for those school supplies that they can uh, donate to the cause. Tammy Stahl is with us from Christian Clearinghouse. And uh, you were just mentioning to me before we went uh, on the air here, uh, 1,100 kids. uh, 1,100 kids last last year. year. You know, I think that just with everything being so expensive, um, people just really, really struggle. I mean, I've kind of looked at some of the prices of things and they have really increased. So we just really need to make sure those kiddos have the tools they yeah. need for a good school year. And as we have uh, talked in the past, uh, you know, it seems like each year the list of school supplies that are necessary gets longer and longer. So you add that to the uh, higher cost. And if you, especially if you've got more than one student going back to school, it can get really expensive really fast. Really, really expensive quickly. So um, we just need to, again, have have those backpacks and pencils and pens and mm-hmm. erasers and markers and all that good <laughs> stuff that we need for school because every child deserves to have new things um, to start the school year off. They don't want that leftover box of crayons right. from last year. And all of the things that they need rather than just picking and choosing what's the most important because it's all important. It's all important. All necessary. Abs- absolutely. So the great thing about this is that uh, as as a donor, if you're donating school supplies, you don't have to know who needs what and, and all of that. That's where you come in. You do all of the uh, organizing and right. the heavy lifting. With there. our friends out at Stonebridge Church, and mm-hmm. I would really, really like to thank them for all their help. Uh, we do get everything put into piles and we pack up backpacks. 
So as we're talking about that, we still have some volunteer opportunities mm-hmm. available. On Monday at Stonebridge at 8.30 in the morning, we're needing people to help us unload that bus. Yeah. And then we have still some packing um, time. So that's on the Stonebridge website, or you can link in through our website at cchsupport.org. So and it's a great thing for your kids to learn about. So if you're, you know, you're able to get away and come out and pack for a couple hours, we'd love to be able to have you help us out. So, uh, it like we said it starts on thursday the collection starts on thursday will once again be at mcdonald's on tiffin avenue and it it really is uh simple the collection part the collection part is the easy part so we just need you to drop off school supplies if you can't make it you can bring it to our office you can do cash donations online um so there's lots of ways to donate uh, we can take things out at stonebridge church clear through the following Friday, which I think is August 5th. Um, So again, anything that you can do to help out, um, if you're putting boxes together at at your workplace, um, go ahead and get those started and get those dropped off to us. Um, We will work with you and you can always call our office at 419-422-2222 and I can help you with that and we can walk through that. So all manner of school supplies are needed and you've got the uh, standard stuff, the pencil the notebook paper um you know crayons and erasers blue and you know all of yeah. those things that you know have always been uh part of it what are the biggest uh things that seem to go under collected the things that uh, people backpacks when you're talking yeah. 1100 backpacks that's a lot yeah. of backpacks and then um tissues ziploc bags are always on those lists okay hand sanitizers are on um, and even headphones um, and earbuds. So really, we, yeah. Okay. Uh, flash drives for the older kids. Okay. They need those for the high, the middle and high school kids. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, and you know, it used to be we wanted those those fancy calculators, and they're not even on the list anymore. So <laughs> so don't worry about. So the, it's worth. So yeah. it's worth you know doing a, a little uh, investigating as to what really is is most right. needed. Right. Um, and and again, it's just it's so important for the kids to have those tools. Yeah. And and to know what they, you know, to we're going to we're going to use it all. So whatever you bring us, we would greatly appreciate and we we just really appreciate the support of the community. Um, you know, the first year we were doing this, we had about 300 kids we serviced, and to think 1,100 kids, right. that's because we have an amazing yeah. community doing this. And uh, over the years, the distribution has been streamlined and improved because, as you mentioned, uh, you will, once we get all of the supplies, you go through and uh, separate them out uh, by classroom and age and we school and, and so on. So. When the students pick up the supplies, they have right there everything they need. It's all prepackaged and ready to go. So in order to do that, you need folks to register their kids for the uh, for the supplies for the distribution of it. Correct. Now that um, that link is going live on our website again, cchsupport.org. That's going to be today at nine a.m. Okay. Fingers crossed, everything goes good. <laughs> um, and remember, we are still doing those shoe vouchers, but that's limited to the first five hundred children that are registered. So get right. on there today. You will need your child's social security card. And I'm sorry to say, but this is limited to Hancock County families only. Right. Uh, we'd love to service out of county, but we just don't have the means to do so. Yeah. So what? Uh, so. Th- 
so what all is involved? Just basically the names of your kids, where they go to school, and right. You, I names mean, it's just that so, basic. Yeah, and the social security okay. numbers. And you know, if if you have um, your kids go to their dads, we still will only give one per child. Okay. So please only register one time for your child. Okay. Uh, so coordinate that with right. uh, you know, the other However, parent. However, yeah. Uh, How is to, it be? To make sure that, yeah. Um, and the distribution. Now, again, the collection uh, begins this week, and the, the main collection point uh, at the bus at McDonald's is going to be Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Although, again, as you mentioned, there are other ways to uh, drop off your donations if that doesn't work for you. But then the distribution is coming here in yes, like, the second just a week of weeks. in August. Yeah. And, and you'll pick a time. So we have time slots on that registration. You'll pick a time. Make sure you write that down or put it in your phone right away so you don't forget those times. Yeah. And um, then you'll just drive out to Stonebridge. You'll open your trunk or your car and we'll just ha- hand them in. Yeah. And you can just, Real just simple. go. Real, Real simple. Yeah. So there's no lines, nothing like that. We're just here to accommodate you and to get those supplies back out to the kids. So, uh, again... To you know, we talk about all of the uh, details of the uh, campaign. You mentioned some volunteers are are still needed uh, yes. to pull this off. If folks are interested in volunteering to make this happen for the kids of the community, how do folks go? Again, about that? they can just go right on our website. It's all on there. Okay. Um, so go onto the Christian Clearinghouse website and um, click the link. If if that doesn't get you where you want to go, call our office at 419-422-2222 and we'll walk you through it or we'll go on and sign you up. So whatever it takes. And again, this is a great thing like for for families to do as a group mm-hmm. or, um, you know, so you can go out and help your kiddos and they can get an idea of what maybe one of their classmates may be going yeah. through. Yeah. Um, so a big uh, thank you to everyone who's helping to make it happen. Uh, like you mentioned, Stonebridge, uh, the city schools, McDonald's, obviously, yes. for letting us take over their parking yes. lot for three days. Um, uh, I know the United Way is involved in getting people, uh, getting volunteers, Same. helping uh, get volunteers uh, lined up for all of this, too. So uh, help uh, uh, helping in this uh, whole thing. So a lot of folks. Uh, and the radio. Radio station, you know, you guys have backed us up for years, and we just really appreciate it. We are happy to be able to help the kids in the community with this program, and just be a big support. And um, again, just just be there for our kids. Let's make it a great year. And uh, by the way, we will be taking the show uh, on location to McDonald's on Tiffin Avenue on Friday, uh, so we will see you there. And again, uh, Tammy Stall. Christian Clearinghouse, thanks very much for dropping by. We Thank appreciate it. Thank you for it. having me. I appreciate it. Stuff the Bus Week this week. And that will finish up our podcast for today. Once again, want to thank all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. And quick reminder that you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each and every day on the show at our webpage. Just head to the World Wide Web at goodmornings.net. Find us there. So until tomorrow morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. Catch you back here tomorrow.